Hello and welcome to The Cheerleading Junkie. I'm your host, Jill Markley. Today's guest, Jeff Benson, has a very rich background, bringing lots of insight into the mental and physical well-being of athletes today. He has been an athlete, a coach, a choreographer, a program director, a judge, and he's also author of the book, Unblocked, The Walls Come Tumbling Down, which I'm personally very excited to read. I just ordered it off Amazon, so I'm very excited for when it comes in. And uh, Jeff also now owns Mind Body Cheer, which is a sport performance company that empowers athletes and coaches to achieve excellence with a mindset of mastery. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. What a privilege to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So just to kind of go into your background just a little bit, because it's just really incredible. Um, (laughs) How did you get started in cheerleading? Um, All right. So the quick version, but as far back as I can go, was that I was a gymnast in high school. Uh, I'm from the suburbs of Chicago. So in high school, we actually have a men's gymnastics team. So I started there as a freshman in high school, and around my senior year, I started getting into watching competitive college cheerleading, and I thought it was really cool. I went to a junior college, kept coaching gymnastics, but really had this continued passion kind of surfacing for cheerleading. And so when I went to Illinois State for my bachelor's degree, I ended up joining their competitive cheer team. And so it my love of cheerleading kind of sparked from there. Wow. So you did collegiate cheer and then you, did you also dive into like the all-star realm as an athlete or just a coach or a judge? Oh, okay. Great questions. So I, after I graduated from Illinois state, I was a PE teacher. So I'm sure this will all get into like the mind body cheer piece. So my, bachelor's degree from Illinois State was in kinesiology education. So I was a teacher and then was during that time a coach at a high school. Loved just scholastic cheer quite a bit. Really didn't do much in competitive cheer until, or it was competitive cheer, but I did not do much into all-star cheer until I moved out to San Francisco, which is where I currently reside. So once I moved out here, I got a job at an all-star gym through Morton Berg, who is pretty well known in the industry. He's a wonderful, very passionate gentleman that really is engaged with so many people around the world. And he gave me a chance. And so I worked at his gym, cheergyms.com, ended up becoming a tumbling director there. And then I became an assistant program director, did that for about five years, and then got my kind of stopped that and then went back to school and got my master's degree in counseling psych. And that kind of gets us into the last decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my so, life. Yeah, and so from there, from getting, like, yeah, I'm really impressed with your education. So you have a master's degree in, in psychology on top of your degree in your bachelor's in kin- kinesiology. I have trouble yeah. saying that. Um, so, like, is that part of how Mind, Body, Cheer came about was through yeah. education and experience? That is exactly right. So um, it's interesting, you know, how things happen in life, in your life. And it's like, I've heard that before. So I was a PE teacher and I would get so much flack from my coworkers. Like, why do you sit down and like talk to your kids about like how they're feeling and processing what happened in the class and 
like that doesn't make any sense. You like talk to your kids too much about like what's going on inside their brain and inside their body. And got the exact same feedback when I ended up working for cheergyms.com. Like, we love you. You're a very passionate coach. But man, could you stop talking to those kids and just like get them to do reps? And so I'm going to throw Morton under the bus. And I'm like, Morton, am I getting results? Yes. Okay. So this is the way I do it. And so I realized <laughs> that I probably would benefit from getting a little bit more education inside or around why is it that I keep doing that? And it's really that passion for understanding what drives people, what causes people to act the way they do, whether it be a positive thing or a negative thing. And that's, or those are a lot of the answers I got when I got and uh, pursued my degree in counseling psych. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that in an, in the industry in general, it feels like we're always running so fast that we're not taking the time to look at the athlete as a holistic individual, right? As a person with feelings and goals and, you know, insecurities and skill level. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's almost like we evaluate the skill set and move on from there, the physical skill set, right? That is a great observation. It is something that I've always been passionate about. So as a former teacher in education, it was always about whole child development. I realized I failed at this throughout my career. So for any coaches that are out there or parents who are like, oh, see, I, I, everyone should coach like Jeff, where they have this holistic, you know, whole child. I failed so many times where I thought, because I care about the whole kid, that I thought I was doing that. And there were times where my ego got involved and the winning the trophies and uh, skills and making sure that I was keeping up with the Joneses, quote unquote, so that other coaches were impressed by me. And, you know, as you get older, you start recognizing, you have more self-awareness of like, hey, I say I care about whole child development, but I got a kid crying in my practice like every week. And it's a direct reflection of what I'm saying to them. And so I really during my master's degree is when I realized like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I did a lot of things right. I, I, I think I was a good coach, but I made a lot of bad mistakes learning about what somebody in that role as a coach or even as a teacher, the power that you have over a kid and the power that your words even, or your actions can have over them. And I didn't really um, honor that. But as you get older, you, that's really what I teach growth mindset. You got to learn from it and be better. You don't have to, you, I choose to, uh, I choose to as well, but you know, I've got to commend you on that level of self-reflection and bravery to actually come out oh, and thank say, you. because, well, <laughs> I think that like, like, as you said, as we get older, we kind of change who we are. And, and I went through a similar experience, I went through like an emergent leadership Institute that, mm -hmm. and I had same reflection, like, I, you know, I'm a good coach, but boy, you know, I've made some mistakes in my day. Yep. And, you know, and people say that, but to say it as authentically, you know, and as clearly as you did, I, I think it's inspiring because it allows other people to say, you know, mm -hmm. I, I may have failed in some areas too. You know, I know this sounds really crazy, but I, that is a very, very kind compliment that you can hear the authenticity because it's true. Like I, I own it. I totally made mistakes. And I think we've turned into a culture where there's so much shame 
to throw Brene Brown in there and all of her awesome work. Like we're so shame filled and how does shame breed itself? You don't say it, you don't speak it. I realize when you speak the things that you are upset by, disappointed by that you have done, it kind of, it removes the stigma, which allows you to make better choices. So I appreciate that compliment while also understanding like, yeah, that's how you do it. You speak your mistakes. Yeah, you're right. And it is like a stigma that needs to be removed. And it does take people with, you know, forward thinking and thought leadership that are able to help break down these walls for the rest Completely. of us. So I applaud you for that. I think that's Thank you. amazing. Um, so I'm going to start talking a little bit more about questions I have about mind, body, cheer and things like that. And I'm going to refer to the term brain blocks. So I just, okay. we're all like level set. Um, can you define that term just so that, you know, we sure. all know what we're talking about here. Okay. So when I use mental blocks or brain blocks, um, I am talking about the physiological experience that your body goes through. So just really quick, let's all get on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, for most of us through high school science, we learned about our amygdala, or as I call our little brain to my athletes, your amygdala's number one job is to keep you safe. It literally is like your old historic prehistoric brain. Think of our ancestors, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Why are we here today, Jill? Well, we're here because our ancestors had really good amygdalas. They sensed danger. And so they did things, fight, flight, or freeze to keep themselves safe. They were not the first to eat the berries. They were not the first to go outside of the cave. They were the first to like make fire and stay warm and create a wheel and like watch other people be very uh, unsafe and make poor decisions. And then we learn from that. So your amygdala's job is to keep you safe. So when we're talking about mental blocks, brain blocks, what I'm talking about is your little brain or your amygdala experience the freeze response. So I like to think of fight like a lion, flight like a zebra, or freeze like a turtle. When I'm thinking of mental blocks, I'm talking about freezing like a turtle physiologically. Yeah. And so I love that you said that, that you refer to the whole brain and, you know, such an educated conversation. Um, but <laughs> what would you say some of the common reasons they get developed in an athlete? Mm, it's a really good one. And something that I think coaches, I'm really excited because coaches are starting to become more educated on this. Um, my hope is this conversation for all coaches that do listen and parents as well as athletes to understand how this happens. So how you contribute to, or what are the vulnerabilities to a brain block or a mental block? So here are some very common experiences. There, there's like the top three, one puberty. So an athlete's body starts changing, whether they have good technique or not, there's sometimes your body starts changing. You get a little taller. It's really important that you understand your amygdala, your little brain, when you flip backwards and you're now a quarter of an inch taller, it's going to freak out because it feels different. I, I bet I'm imagining all these parents and kids nodding their heads like, oh my gosh, I remember that that one time she said it just feels different. Yeah, chances are they're growing. So that's one. Um, a second one would be 
just having poor technique, not being strong enough to do or perform the skills that they're trying to do. I just got done working at camp and watching athletes who are pushing themselves because they have big goals and I'm so proud of them. But there are many of them that were trying skills where their bodies were not strong enough to actually do them safely. So um, Debbie Love is a very good friend of mine and she is one of those people who coined the term or the phrase Athletes are trying to do skills on deficient bodies. You're not strong enough yet to do that skill safely. Yeah, you can throw that back handspring. But are you throwing it <laughs> or are you throwing it? And so it's not about like I have, I often use numbers. So I have 20, I have 20 pounds of strength, but it takes 20 pounds of strength to throw a back handspring. That means you have to throw everything you have into that back handspring to be safe. Mm -hmm. Come on, everybody. How many of you are throwing everything you've got 100% of the time on every single repetition? So that second one is deficiently, strength, uh, deficiently strong bodies or mobility because sometimes it's like a shoulder thing. And so they're trying to throw their tumbling and they, you know, I got a little distracted. I, I'm just not strong enough yet. And so like that thing happened. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden my amygdala has learned, I don't trust you. So I'm going to freeze you to keep you safe. Not I'm going to freeze you because I'm the critical voice or I'm not freezing you because you're, I'm a jerk. I'm freezing you to keep you safe. I'm getting a sense you want to ask a question about that. <laughs> no, that just blew my mind though. Actually, <laughs> I know you can see me with the video, but I was like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, mm -hmm. right. I mean, you think that they're afraid of something else, you know, but yeah, you're right. It's probably their brain just stopping them because of their bodies changing and developing. Mm -hmm. and they're not always throwing it the same way. You know, that's interesting. Yep. Very much. Um, and so the third, I mean, it really changes per <laughs> what client I'm talking about. Um, but so I would say those are the top two. Uh, another third one is just pressure. Like I, I touched down in the middle of a competition and my coach did not respond favor to, uh, favorably or my parents were not supportive or my teammates were not supportive or I lost the competition and I feel shame <laughs> talking, bring it all back to that. Like mm -hmm. I feel so bad about what I did. I let everyone down. That's often a downward spiral that creates this story or narrative in our brain that says we're not good. And then your amygdala believes you, oh, I guess I shouldn't trust you because see how many times you said you're not good? Yeah, okay, so I shouldn't trust you, got it, freeze. Yeah, that's, so my dad, just as a side note, when we were growing up, he studied like NLP and all that stuff. Yeah. He used to say to us, what Good are stuff. you telling your mind? You know, yeah. and we used to be like, roll our eyes and like, oh, mm -hmm. dad, you know, but it's really true. Like, what are you telling yourself? Well, how are you programming your mind to yeah. react to certain situations? So interesting. That is um, something really important. Sorry to no, really quick. Um, so we're kind of talking about the brain and I hope all your listeners are not super bored by this, but it is really important that we understand you were talking about your dad and like at an early age, what are you telling your brain? Um, we're setting our brain up for the future. So science, neural pathways, think of them as like little alleys 
or shortcuts, our neurons are talking to each other. So billions of neurons, more neurons in each of our brains than stars in the sky. Our neurons talking or firing to each other. So neurons that fire together, wire together. So they're forming connections. So if what you're saying to yourself is this negative mantra or a negative story, unsafe story over and over and over again, so you have this negative feedback loop, you're going to start functioning in the world with as if that's true. Like I am not strong enough. Um, I cannot trust myself. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a failure. I'm a fraud. I'm inca- I'm incapable of overcoming this, and that is what ends up happening: is these neurons, neuropathways, start forming in this negative way, and that's what is so hard to help athletes rewire. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest challenges that faces all of our coaches today. Yeah. So I also mm-hmm. hope that you know they they like the science part of it, but I think it's critical to understand the underlying mm-hmm. causes of these things because you can't solve these problems just by, you know, repetition, repetition, repetition. That's not mm-hmm. going to work. Right. That, Cause you're not That's getting right. the root of the, the crux of the issue, you know, it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. You can't create, you can't change the brain by just doing physical things. Yeah, exactly. You've got to get to the root of the, you know, your psyche and understand where that thought process is coming from. Interesting. So um, another thing that I find really impressive about Mind Body Cheers is designed to empower everyone with any influence over the athlete. So the athlete themselves, the coaches, mm-hmm. but also the parents. That's and right. I think a lot of the time, like, um, you know, brain blocks or mental blocks are seen as like an athlete coach problem to solve. Right. But okay. Great point. So when did you realize that parents needed to be pulled into the conversation <laughs> too? Um, okay. So I'm a pretty authentic, straightforward guy. Um, but often I try and filter, um, not, not in terms of not being truthful, but like saying it in a really nice way. So I'm just going to be real. I actually stopped coaching all stars because of parents. <laughs> I know. I get the feeling. <laughs> um, and what's really interesting now is that it's kind of shifted for me. I have so much compassion for parents now. Maybe it's just having become a dad myself. But when I talk to parents whose kids are going through mental blocks, like my heart bleeds for them because I realize they're really just being mama bear or papa bear trying to protect their young cub who is upset. We have mirror neurons. I won't go into it because I feel like this is very science heavy, but basically we have this ability to connect with each other by seeing and experiencing things with one another. So why do moms and dads get so reactive with their kids? It's biological. It's how we actually keep our young safe. Think of literally a bear uh, and a cub what is the mama bear going to do with the cub? The mama bear is going to fight anything, literally lion, right? Fight right. anything with their amygdala to keep their little bear safe. That's how parents are responding. So I recognized probably back then when starting to write unblock, the walls come tumbling down, there's this really integral component, the triad. You cannot make meaningful change if all three elements, parent, 
child and the coach aren't all on the same page. If one is pulling in a different direction, like, oh, no, I don't need to work the mental side. I just need to do it more. That chair, so like literally think of a, you know, a chair with three legs and you're pulling the one chair out, the one leg out, you're going to fall. So it's about getting all three components to agree this is the game plan and let's work on it together. And then holding each other accountable lovingly, that is where I've seen the most meaningful change, whether it be a mental block or just team culture. Yeah, I absolutely love that because I, and I feel like we, we do have to see each other as being involved in a partnership, right? Because I've been both coach and mama. So, um, and like you said, you have a child too. So it's, it's like, you know, there's a lot of parents who either they'll just be like, your coach is an idiot. They don't know what they're doing or blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of undermining the coach, but it's also Mm -hmm. kind of the flip side when a parent's like, your mom doesn't know anything about cheerleading, you know, like don't, you know, don't get tumbling instructions from your parents or, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm feel like there's a lot of that that goes on in the you industry. You are right. Pointing fingers for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that that's part of, you know, we've got to kind of knock down these silos of this is your place and this is your place and this is your place, right? Yeah. And just come together as a unit. And so what are some of the um, pitfalls that parents might hit when they're trying to help okay. their kids? That's a great point. So I go a lot, I go back to just in general, biology, what are we wired to do? We're wired to keep our young safe. Okay. Do we live in a world today that's as dangerous as it was even a hundred years ago? No, there are not the same dangers now because of technology, because of the messages we receive it, there is a perception that we are living in a more dangerous world. That is actually not true. Is it dangerous? Yes. Are there risks to be safer? Yes, absolutely. So I'm not trying to like throw some conspiracy stuff out here. <laughs> I, I am, I'm wearing, well, not right now, but I wear my mask. Like, so I'm not <laughs> saying don't wear a mask. We're safe. What I'm saying is you don't have to worry about, um, most of us don't have to worry about starving to death or freezing to death because we have all of these luxuries now that we didn't have a hundred years ago, 200 years ago. Okay. So why am I talking about all that? Let's get back to the point, Jeff. The point is parents often get blinded by this uh, evolutionary response of, I feel this way. So it must be real. For example, my child is crying when they come home for practice. My child, when I ask what is wrong, my child says, because they're like flipping their lid, they're in fight or they're in flight and they're like, my coach yelled at me today and she hates me and she doesn't like me. And all she does is tell me what I do wrong because she's upset. That's what kids do. Now I'm, I'm mama bear. I'm papa bear and mirror neurons. I'm feeling they're upset. And if I'm blinded by my rage, so I'm now lioning, I might yell. I might call the coach and yell at the coach. I might send a nasty email while I'm in the heat of the moment. Because I feel like the coach made my kid experience this. And I don't like feeling this way. Mm -hmm. So I'm letting it out. Or as I call it, flipping your lid. That is the main problem. Is that there's just this reaction. I feel this way, so it must be true. So I'm just going to act on it. Taking a step back and really 
navigating the situation. For example, I say this to parents and coaches. How about we all agree that we'll believe half of what those kids say to us? So parents, believe half of what your kids are saying to you about what happens in practice. Coaches, believe half of what those kids are saying that their parents made them or said to them at home <laughs> when they come to practice. Mm -hmm. Why? Not because kids are trying to lie, but because kids are so emotional in general because their prefrontal cortex is still developing. It's normal that they go up and down, ebb and flow really high and low. Their perception of events are not always accurate. Does that make sense? It makes total sense to me. Um, and I agree with that. Just one thing, though, I think that... Yep said is, you know, like our world isn't as dangerous now as it was then, but mentally for the athlete with the influx of social media and this mm -hmm. ridiculous bravado mm -hmm. and ability to say whatever you want, whenever you want, yep. somewhat anonymously, don't, do you think that that is really aiding, I don't know the right word, or, or no, really I... kind of underscoring this problem yep. that's creating these blocks? Uh Yes, absolutely. It's contributing to it. But let's get back to just biology. Mm -hmm. Our amygdala is trying to keep us physically safe. Okay. All right. So when okay. someone is texting me, you're an oogity boogity, <laughs> am I physically in danger? No. The only reason some kids respond to that with like, ah! is because of their perception of those words. Let's go back to when we were kids. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt me. Like, that is like genius. It's true. Like, yeah, someone literally throwing a brick at me is going to physically hurt me. So my amygdala is going to like try and keep me safe. But what's happened is our brain has not evolved fast enough. So words on a screen are being translated the same as like somebody shooting a gun at us, somebody threatening our lives physically. Does that make sense? Yeah, because the technology has advanced faster than, say, than the our brains. Of the mind. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's yeah, that makes so much sense to me. And I think it's it must be so hard to be a kid today. I'm glad I'm not one for sure. <laughs> Um, so just one more thing about the parents and giving them a role. I, like I can envision, I have one girl in my gym right now who was just, just a little ball of anxiety. And I know if I went to her mom and said, Hey, you know, you can be a, help me resolve this. But she would say, I don't know anything about cheer or tumbling, you know, and, <laughs> and I feel like she wouldn't know what to do. So how do you work with them to get them to understand their true value? Okay. So most of the parents that I deal with have been overactive in the <laughs> process. Um, what do I mean by that? I say this with so much love, but with honesty, most parents whose athletes have mental blocks have been really upset about the child's mental block. For example, um, having said things like, I don't know why you just don't go, just throw it. I've spent $5,000 on private lessons for that back tuck. How are you not throwing a back handspring now? Uh, 
all the other girls on your team, you were the best tumbler, and now they're all passing you up. What do you mean you can't do it? I don't understand. Just throw it. What's wrong with you? I, I am not trying to shame anybody. I'm not saying that with judgment. Objectively, that's what most parents say. Then they read my book and they realize, oh my gosh, Jeff, I can't believe all of those things I said contribute to this. And it, is it my fault? I'd say 80% of parents. Is, so is it my fault? No, it's everybody has contributed. Coaches have contributed. Athletes have contributed. Parents have contributed. Now, you tell me, does knowing whose fault it is help? No. We are where we are now, so how do we move forward? Feeling guilty and feeling shameful is not going to help us move forward. That's often what I say to parents, is you love your child you had the best of intentions, but because you felt frustrated with them and you didn't understand, you flipped your lid and you said things you didn't mean. Oh, you mean just like coaches when they get frustrated when a stunt doesn't hit, that the kids were hitting 100% of the time the practice before and then flipped their lids and may say something that they regret. We're all fallible. We all make these mistakes. That, I mean, if you want to change cheer, if all of us could just recognize that we are so reactive in this sport and take a step back and just like, do I trust the coaches? No. Then why are you there? Yes. Okay. Let's give them some grace. Hey, let's call you. Hey, what happened at practice? And if the coach is like, Hey, you know what? I flipped my lid. I apologize. Hopefully then those coaches are going to talk to the kids like, Hey, I messed up. I apologize from last practice. This is why I was frustrated, but I'm an adult, so I'm going to be better. Or a parent being able to apologize to a coach. You know what? I wish I did not respond that way. I apologize that I yelled at you for that. That was not your fault. That was my own stuff. I'm going to try and be better and follow what I often say, the 24-hour rule. When you're upset, wait 24 hours. Let's get that amygdala or your nervous system to calm back down so you're not in mama bear or papa bear when you're trying to deal or solve a solution or find the solution to a problem. And, you know, I think that it's really important um, for adults, especially coaches, to admit mistakes and apologize to them in front of their athletes because I feel like it helps reinforce that idea that it's okay to make mistakes, you know, that we all do Beautiful. it. Yep. Too. free Somebody to make, fail yeah i mean you've kind of got to set that set the lead in that and, and make sure people understand that so yep i love that lead by example philosophy yeah i think so so let's change direction a little bit and talk sure. about the advice that you give to coaches as far as this goes so a couple things that you discuss are really interesting on your website and the first being that it seems like you believe that coaches should first focus on the resiliency of the athlete, their work ethic, and the team culture. Mm. And as we talked about earlier, it seems more like a lot of us coaches, we, all, we always feel like we're pressed for time, right? We don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. So we're jumping right into the more tangible skills or the skills that meet the score sheet, yeah. right? So, you know, how do you, how do you help coaches change their mindset? 
I appreciate that. I also feel like I didn't completely answer the parent part. So I'm, I'm going to like do it. I'm going to do like, no, it's, you have nothing to apologize for. I realize I kind of stuck to one piece of the parent thing, but it kind of is all the same. It's literally two sides of the same coin. Coaches mm -hmm. get so emotional over hitting that when they don't, they get upset. Parents get so emotional when their kids aren't throwing skills that they once were, they get upset or vice versa. When a kid gets a skill really fast, I'm posting it on Facebook. Look how great my Susie is and how fast she learned it or mm. coaches. Can you believe this athlete learned this today? Because it feels really good. Like they're the coach of the world when they taught a kid a full in one minute. <laughs> <laughs> yep. there, there's a lot of this, like we're if coaches and parents are actually acting the exact same. And then sometimes they're pointing fingers at each other. And from a, um, an outside observer, you see it's, well, you both are doing it. It's just when it's not you, it's easier to point, well, she just flipped her lid. Okay. So one of the questions you were asking specifically about coaches, okay, what do I tangibly say to coaches? And you kind of brought up what I would call growth mindset. Okay. Mm -hmm. What I often focus on is the mindset of an athlete. And I am talking Dr. Carol Dweck, her book, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success, Growth Fix Mindset. Let me get us all on the same page. Dr. Dweck has done over 30 years of research on essentially why do some, let's make it sport related, why do some talented teams not achieve their full potential where some seemingly like average teams excel mindset. So mindset is the way in which you view your talent, ability, and intelligence. So she found that there's this fixed mindset, this belief that you want to be seen as perfect because unconsciously you believe your talent, ability, and intelligence is limited, meaning you're trying to control how everyone sees you. I want people to think I'm a good, sh I, I'm the best tumbler. So I'm only going to throw tumbling skills that I'm going to land or throw perfectly so that everyone's telling me how good I am. I'm going to avoid challenges. I'm, I have this belief that if I have to give a hundred percent effort all the time, I'm, there must be something wrong with me because talented people don't have to try all the time. They get things fast. Whereas a growth mindset is this belief that your talent, ability, and intelligence can grow and change by hard work, dedication, and perseverance. When I ask athletes this or parents this, everybody is like, well, I know you can grow your talent, ability, and intelligence. I know that can change. Then why are so many of us perfectionists? Why are so many of us so concerned with what other people think of us? Why, coaches, are we so upset when our kids aren't hitting a routine? What, how, is that in, how is that a danger to our life? Why are we lying at our kids? Why does it cause so much frustration? Probably because we think it's a reflection on us that we're not good enough. Fixed mindset. Why do parents post those videos of their kid learning a full or a tuck in one class? Because it makes me feel really good that people see my kid as talented. Now, a lot of people are going to argue with that. And I bet 95% of the time, if I peel back your onion, I'm going to get to the root being fixed-minded. So 
let's go back to now that we got the general gist, growth mindset's about your effort. It's about learning life skills through competitive cheer. It's about being a leader in the future. Parents, come on. How much money are you investing every year in this sport? Thousands and thousands of dollars. What are you really looking for? Meaning gold. What's at the end of the day, what do you want? I'd say every parent, I want my kid to be happy. I want my kid to be a good person and learn teamwork. And I want my kid to be successful in life. They're not going to get those things by just winning a title. It is about the process of how you got there. Did your kid learn resilience? Did they fall in a routine, get back up and say, come on, you guys, let's go. And I still gave 100%. And yes, I was upset, but I was still able to control my emotions. I hope everyone sees how that's going to be a successful skill to have later on in your life. Um, not making the team, sorry, not making no. the team that you want for your kid that one year. And how does your kid respond? Does your kid work harder? Listen to the coach's feedback and keep going and ask for help? Or do they start not having passion for cheer? Do they start making excuses? Do you start talking bad about the coach and saying that they don't like your kid? And what's wrong with you? We've invested all this money. Why aren't our, why is our kid not moving up? It must be your fault. All of those things are going to actually go in the opposite direction of what you say your goal is. I hope I didn't go too much on a, on a tangent. And if I did, if you could help me pull back. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't think that you did, but it did. Um, so one of the things I know I put in my script to you and, and you mentioned in the email that I think is really important about what you're doing is you're right. It's helping the athlete learn how to go through the process, right? Learn the right mindset yes. because so many women suffer from what we call imposter syndrome, right? Sure. A big problem. Um, it is for me too. Like I have a leadership position in, in a very large company. And the first few months I was there, I was waiting to get fired, you know, like, well, I don't know why I would have gotten this role. And I, you know, they can't really think I'm good at heart. it. Yeah, yeah. But it's common, you know, and mm -hmm. it's something that very. a lot of people think. And I feel like this work that you're doing could, could maybe help the next generation of women, mm -hmm. you know, they're coming through cheerleading and, and things like that, learn how to realize their value and their importance and to go through the process of self-validation. Absolutely. Uh, one of the words I use over and over again, purposeful, and then insert the next word, purposeful effort, <laughs> you know, purposeful values, Value-directed behavior, understanding where you're trying to go and checking and rechecking. Okay, so what does that have to do with imposter syndrome? Being able to not look at your accolades, not looking at like all of your awards as the building of confidence. Rather, what things have you done, meaning like hard work, dedication, what hurdles have you overcome? When have you been gritty? When have you climbed that hill and not given up? That's the process. That is one of the big differentials between growth and fixed mindset. Fixed mindset focuses on the end result, whereas growth mindset focuses on the process. So how, does, how would that work with you in a work setting or 
just women in general with at the end. Well, if you are only feeling proud of yourself when you receive some accolade or some end result or the finish line, you're constantly worried that you're on the chopping block because what if I don't get to the next finish line? See, then then I'm going to find out I'm not worthy. That is literally the definition of fixed mindset. Whereas growth mindset would be, look at all these things that I've overcome in my life. Look at the way that I've been able to handle them with grace or with dignity. Or think of all the times that I've stood up for myself in a very loving way, but very honest. Like That is not okay to treat me that way. Being able to communicate assertively rather than passively, which I do think is a huge problem in our culture. We teach women to be passive, but we teach men it's normal to be assertive. So they're go- men are going to, I mean, they definitely, we definitely have a head start, not because of any genetic benefit, but because our society is set up for men to succeed. Yeah, so, I Go ahead. I, yeah, no, I was just, I really agree with everything you're saying. And I think, I think it's so valuable if you're able to get to these kids younger, you know, and deliver yeah. this, help them change into that growth mindset. Because I mean, I think I eventually got there, but it, you know, I'm in my forties. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Imagine like, us. Yeah, exactly. And and so I like I see all these girls coming up through high school and, you know, being afraid of what team they're going to make or being afraid of can they get into this college and are they worth trying out for this team? You know, like it's it's just I see it, you know, and so I wish I mean, I love that you're doing this. I just wish that people did it more, you know, yeah. and people understood how to do it, you know. Yeah, it is. It's definitely a delicate balance, but it is something I mean, that's really the crux of mindset. The cool thing is you can change your mindset. It is possible. You can change the wiring in your brain to kind of bring it back to what we started talking about. Your brain is malleable. It's adaptable. It will change if you start or practice a different story. But are you purposefully trying to change the story? And I think that is at the core of the last two main questions you asked. What are parents and or what are coaches doing that are missing the mark? They're focusing on the end results, throwing that back tuck, throwing that back handspring, winning that trophy, making that level three team. Let's focus on those other areas. What about their work ethic? What about their values? What about their effort? What about their determination? What about the way they communicate? What do they do when they don't get what they want? What happens next? Because if we focus 90% of our energy on that, hey, spoiler alert, you're going to get those goals that you just wanted way faster. And you're going to be happier. How cool is that? (laughs) Hello. Come on, people. So just tell me, so when we started this, you were saying how you came back from camp. So what does a camp run like? like? Because I I get that you have a lot of technical skills, but it feels like this is where your passion is, right? This is what you're trying to deliver. So I'm just really curious, what does it look like? Like, what do you, how do you do it? Oh my goodness. Okay. So (laughs) my company is Mind Body Cheer. So I use my background in psychology, my um, bachelor's degree in kinesiology, and my over 20 years of cheer experience blended together in a camp, helping programs 
reach excellence with a mindset of mastery. Okay, so that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> so what does a camp look like? Every camp is different. I know that's annoying to hear. What I do is walk in and I ask, this is the core, who are you? What, what, like, who are you? Who is this program? What do you stand for? So I ask, what are your values, essentially? And we'll do an activity. Okay, great. And where do you want to go? And I look at those two elements, and I look at, do they match? We want to, let's just go all-stars. We want to win Summit, but what are our values? Fun, friendship, and um, winning. Okay, there's a lot of dissonance in there. You can have fun, you can have friendships, you can win, and you can get to the summit. But if those are your core values, I hope we all see like, oh, that's going to be really rough. Let's go back to what I said with the parents. Parents, most of you want your kids to be happy, successful in life, and be a good person. Are your kids, if you want them to be successful in life, always going to be happy? No, never. It's not possible. I've never seen someone be successful in life and to have always been happy. So it's which is going to win over when. So when I go into a program, I'm looking for that dissonance. We say we want to be, we want to go level four, but we've never won level three. And so what is your goal? We want to be really successful at level four. Okay, let's talk about how many holes are in this uh, plan of yours. It looks like a piece of Swiss cheese here. You've never been successful yet at level three. So that means your mastery of those level three skills is not there. But you want to move up. What makes you think? So it's a lot of processing. Okay, so we don't just sit for like 16 hours. But it's that. And then I try and find the best or what I think is the most quick way to get you there. If it's a cheer part of mind body cheer, like your cheer technique needs work, we work on up to where you are masterful. So let's say it's a level four team, let's do just preps. Is it excellent? Not your excellent, my excellent. And I show you videos and I explain to you and we do a comparison and then we do strength exercises body to help you get there faster and feel your glutes squeeze and your VMO engage and active shoulders. And then I watch you get really frustrated that we're doing preps. And then, so hopefully everyone's like, oh, let's, let's do the process here. Yeah. So I hear you want to be really successful level four. You've defined success at level four as winning competitions. I'm watching your level one skills not reach excellence. I am not saying you can't go level four, but you're missing a lot of the pieces that will help you reach your goal. So are you going to be willing to be uncomfortable and work on those um, holes in your boat? Or are you just going to push through and like ignore me? And so it's a lot of that processing, which is I'm, I'm hoping most people, when you hear growth mindset, you're like, oh, positivity. Mm, yeah, no. Yes, there's um, optimism in growth mindset, but it's also lovingly honest. Nothing I've said in this example is like subjective. It's all very objective. 
here is how we do an excellent prep. This, 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 five things. You're doing two of them. Look at the video. Tell me I'm wrong. You're not wrong. Okay. So what are you going to do next? So I give a lot of options to see which direction they're actually going on their map to their goal. I did air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely does. I mean, it's the agile mindset as well. Like you have to fail. You have to, you know, see where the failures are in order to get over them, right? In order to improve. So, yep, exactly. Um, yeah, I like that. So, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the athlete and their anxiety, right? And so, I'm sure that this happens in every sport, but so many cheerleaders, it feels like have, and maybe I only see it so much in cheerleaders because I am a cheerleading coach, but I had a football player. My daughter runs track and cross country, you know, like, so I have kids that go through various sports and it just doesn't seem the same, you know? So why do you think it's so much more prevalent in cheerleading? Or if you do think it's prevalent. Your video froze. Did I lose him? Yeah, he just went offline. Oh, and he's completely offline. And he's coming back, coming back. Okay, you're back. (laughs) No, that's okay. Um, Did you get the question? Uh, I believe so. Why in cheerleading are we seeing a influx of anxiety and fear more so than in other sports? Yes. Excellent. You're going to love my answer. (laughs) Mindset. Okay. I'm catching a theme here. (laughs) All right, Jeff. I'm seeing a theme. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Why? All right. So mindset or mindset is the way in which you view your talent, ability, and intelligence. One of the core components of a fixed mindset is perfectionism. Tell me if... Um, you said track. What other sports? Uh, yeah, I have my daughter. I have a daughter that does cross country and track, and we had a son who played high school and college football. So okay. So quarterback. How many times is the quarterback going to throw a pass that will always be caught by a receiver? Oh, I don't know. Seven out of ten, maybe? Six out of ten, ten. I guess. Seventy, sixty percent of the time. How many and... times is the receiver going to always catch a ball? That's probably it's, the same, right? Yeah, a little around the same. How many times, so let's go other sports, how many times is a um, a volleyball player going to be able to dig a ball? How many times is a softball pitcher going to throw a strike? Hopefully everyone's getting a theme here. Oh, mm-hmm. mistakes happen all the time in these other sports. A basketball player shooting a free throw, they're going to miss, not all the time, but they're going to miss a lot. And what do they do? They move on. Okay, what happens in cheerleading when you make a mistake? It is devastating in cheerleading. It's devastating in gymnastics. It's devastating in diving. It's devastating in dance. So what if my theory is correct? Is there a lot of anxiety in these sports? Is there a lot of fear? The answer is yes. Why? Because our sport breeds fixed mindset. Our sports, typically the most perfect, quote unquote, again, teams are the ones that are winning. 
So when you just focus on the end result of hitting zero, which I realize people think is like a really growth mindset thing because I'm only focusing on what I can control. Mm. Yeah, no, <laughs> still end result, fixed mindset, try again. Yeah. Love you, but no, try again. Those are all fixed minded things. No deductions. We can control hitting 100% of the time. Have you seen, Jill, have you seen teams hit zero that you've watched the routine and you went, <gasps> yes. <laughs> okay. So I would challenge anybody. How about level of excellence? How about we focus on like one thing at a time? Were our jumps more synchronized? Did you move on from that mistake faster than you did last time when you dropped the stunt and then every part of the pyramid fell afterwards? Oh, you dropped the stunt and now the pyramid hit that. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to throw cotton candy, unicorns and sprinkles, but I'm not kidding. Rewarding and honoring like, you know what? That resilience, that grit, that not giving up free to fail, bring back some of these terms I've been using, that is going to help your kids reduce their anxiety. It's not about being perfect. It's not about not making a mistake. What do you do when you make a mistake? What you do next is key. So let's pull this back to brain block, mental block. Your body freezing you is not the mistake what you do after you freeze is usually the mistake. For instance, crying or avoiding the skill or ignoring the fact that you didn't go and you do nothing to change it and you just stand there to try and chuck it again without any purposeful thought. And why did my amygdala not trust me that last time? Those are the mistakes, the reactions. So that's really my work is how do I, as a coach, remove my reaction to my kids' actions and instead look at what they're doing after they act? How do they react? And then I either reinforce it or we talk and process what to do better next time. So that's kind of like trying to teach them how to turn off their internal critic, right? Or their internal panic mode or whatever that internal thought process is that says you can't, or you shouldn't, or you've lost it now. Right. So, and I know that on, that you talk about how to get people to turn off that internal voice. But for me, I, I don't feel like I even understand how to do it. You know what I mean? Or how to guide my athletes through it. So do you have like steps that you would advise that we follow? Totally. So let's go back to shame and things that we've done wrong. I would say when I was a younger um, sports performance consultant, it was about let's not feel or let's not think critically. When you say something negative to yourself, don't listen to it, blah, blah. Yeah. As a more evolved um, consultant, I realized there's a really strong argument for learning to just accept hearing that voice. Mm. Um, I've heard a couple metaphors or analogies for this. Um, I'm going to go with the last one. So I apologize if I kind of fumble it up, but I'm going to give my best effort. You see that growth mindset right there? 
Uh, uh, all right. So imagine you're sitting on the side of the road and you're watching cars pass by. That is what I want you to do with your thoughts. If you have a thought, let it pass by. Let that truck pass by. Yes, it was negative. But what we often do is the truck passes by and then we keep following the truck. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm worthless. I'm terrible. Now I feel terrible about myself. Now I actually feel worthless. And now I'm looking for evidence for it being worthless because I'm following that truck. So rather than there's no truck there, there's no truck there, (laughs) which is kind of how I used to do it. Okay. That's one strategy and it might be helpful, but what I found more helpful is, oh my gosh, there was that truck again. And then use strategies like, is it true? Is that thought helpful? Yeah. Looking for evidence on whether or not those things are true or looking for contradictory evidence is helpful in starting to maybe see that truck less often, or instead of looking at the truck for 20 seconds, looking at the truck for 10 seconds. I hope that metaphor makes sense in terms of those negative thoughts. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it's like seeing your, seeing that thought, right. And then embracing it kind of right. Or sometimes, yeah. It, right. And saying, okay, mm-hmm. you know, but, but can I then let it go? Can I then say, you know, this isn't this, this one thought doesn't define me. Right. Or Beautiful. Skill set, right. Or it doesn't serve me. So it is my choice now <laughs> to do with it, respond to it, how I choose. So uh, in psychology, sometimes we call them ANTs, automatic negative thoughts. They literally are automatic. So having this belief that you're not going to have negative thoughts is just sabotaging yourself because your brain is wired for some of these thoughts. For instance, whether people want to believe me or not, I have this belief that was wired from when I'm young, when I was young, that I'm stupid. Not one person called me stupid. I just believed that I was stupid. And it is so hardwired in my brain that when I make mistakes, that is the automatic negative thought in your brain. You are stupid. So whenever, just a second ago, I was talking about something and like I said something and that was like 100% effort because I caught myself being fixed. My, oh, I'm going to make a mistake. I'm not going to say it right. So like I'm already apologizing, apologizing for the metaphor because if I apologize to you, then you can't tell me I'm bad or that I'm wrong. That was like my coping mechanism. Do you, do you remember we were talking about the cars yeah. passing by? That was yeah. literally a thought in my head. Jeff, you're going to mess this up. And so I spoke it. Oh my gosh, you're going to mess this up. So I apologize if I mess this up. Oh wait, that's fixed mindset. And then you all heard me hundred percent effort. Okay. And then I believe it now because I've done it so much. Wait, it is true. I'm going to mess up. So I'm just going to try it. Uh, Okay. Who cares? I'm going to try the best I can because I'm here talking to you and your audience with love. So I may not be perfect their internet may go out. So how do I respond to that pitfall? I'm going to be forgiving and realize the calmer I can stay in these situations, the better I'm going to adapt or pivot 
that will help me be the best Jeff I can be. Yeah. And to bring it back full circle, like, again, I think that that's brave and I commend you for it to, to be able to say, not only are you an expert in changing people in this growth mindset, but you realize that we are all struggling, you know, like we all have moments yeah. where of weakness and we all just need the right tools to overcome those. And that's, you know, it really, I think it's really important that people hear that, that it's not, you're, you're not egotistical. You're very authentic, you know, and oh, definitely, <laughs> yeah, I'm like really impressed. Very just, That's very yeah. kind. Thank you. And, and I, I do, I, but I think it's important too, that, you know, people do lead in that way that they, they make it okay, you know, mm-hmm. to have challenges because otherwise exactly true. we ever overcome them, you know? So well, I think this was a great interview and I do appreciate your time. <laughs> I'm trying to be conscious of the time because I know you have a hard stop in about five minutes. I appreciate so, that. Yes. Is there anything else that you that you want me to hit on or cover before we have to drop? Um, I, it is my core value. I would say probably my number one value in this role as a sports performance consultant is to be helpful. So what I am always trying to do is speak to a level that makes sense to whomever I'm speaking. So breaking it down, looking at an athlete, did I just, looking at your eyes, did that correction make sense? Mm -hmm. They say yes, they look yes, and then they try it and they do it wrong. So it's now my job to make it a little bit simpler. So I'm thinking back of this session. I feel passionate. I loved it. Great questions. I feel like we've had great back and forth. But part of me is like, I hope I was able to break this down so people can take away things to be helpful. So with that being said, number one thing, mindset. If what I've said, if you hear it, if you value, if you're like, oh, I really kind of get this Jeff guy. Like, I like that. I wish I was, I could do that or whatnot. Mindset the new psychology of success, Dr. Carol Dweck. That was my biggest pivot point. I I think I was okay. I was good before, but I think I've become better. I've elevated, I've leveled up because I'm understanding all of that stuff, understanding my thoughts or my athletes thoughts and being able to help serve them better by helping them change those neural pathways in their brain. That is the core of everything. The second, emotional regulation. Us as parents, us as coaches, and for our athletes. Learning how to take a step back and really asking the question, is the way I'm reacting serving me? So I think of my husband and when he does things that frustrates me, hello, I'm quote unquote, an expert on mindset, or I teach mindset. And my husband gives me a critique and you want to know what I do? I freak out on him. Oh yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Really, Jeff, you say you teach this mindset stuff. And then I ask you to fix something. That's because you're attacking me. And at that point going, Oh my gosh, he's not attacking me. That's a story I'm telling myself. Yeah. We've been together 11 years. I'm still working on taking what I see as a criticism or an attack as just feedback. So this is a lifelong learning thing. And this is the best piece. When you use a growth mindset, every time you do better, you get to celebrate versus 
fixed mindset is, but I'm not there yet, so I'm not good enough. I'm doing better with my husband. I'm doing better as a coach, a consultant. So I'm happier now. And I'm proud of myself when I'm able to pivot or shift. And you can too, as parents, as a spouse, as a coach, we can learn how to pivot and shift by using a growth mindset. Yeah, that's, it's simple brilliance. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for having me. I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately, um, I do want to not hold you up. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope you found it as informative and entertaining as I did. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Cheerleading Junkie, or find us on Facebook as The Cheerleading Junkie, or on Twitter at The Cheerleading One. That's T-H-E-C-H-E-E-R-L-E-A-D-I-N, number one. This is Jill Markley, The Cheerleading Junkie, saying see you next week.